0: This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free.
2: You're listening to
1: Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network. Riotcast.com.
2: I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus, I've got Ebola vibes dripping from my nose, I've got the leprosy of the heart valves exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out, Blast it with the wave, an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for my ailments, the health equivalent to Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed, and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease,
0: so I'm paging Dr.
1: Steve. Dr. Steve.
2: It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Dr. Scott. The traditional Chinese medical doctor gives me street cred with the wacko alternative medicine assholes. Hello, Dr. Scott. Hey, Dr. Steve. And also in the studio today, we have Dr. Ryan. It's probably somewhat premature to call you that. I guess so. A he's, he's a medical student, but he's a pretty fart smeller. I, I mean, smart feller. Uh, this is a show for Bevel. Well, welcome, Ryan. Hey, glad to be here. Right. To Just chip in whenever. You bet. What's that? This is a show for people who had never listened to a medical show on the radio. If you've got a question you're embarrassed to take to a regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347 766 4323. That's 347. Take it away, Ryan. 22 penis. Oh, no. Ah! <laughs> oh,
1: <dang>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> at least he listens. It's true. <laughs> it's 347. Who head. Oh. Poo head. Visit our website. Yeah. He, was, he was so excited that he got it. Right. I just really wanted to say the word penis. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. I can't mention contractually. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything here with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant. Pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, or whatever. Don't forget to check out stuff.drsteve.com for all of your holiday shopping. That's stuff.drsteve.com. Takes you to uh, the click-through page where you can click through to Amazon. Also has all the products uh, on our uh, website. Don't forget for your white elephant party if you have to give a goofy gift, go to flatusflute.com. You can still get it in time for the holidays. Flatusflute.com. Um, I, I have nothing to do with these guys, but they're hilarious. Uh, don't forget tweakedaudio.com, perfect stocking stuffers. Tweakedaudio.com, offer code FLUID for 33% off the best earbuds for the price on the market and the best customer service anywhere. And... Um, Uh, Don't forget blueapron.com slash medicine. You can get some free meals, and uh, it's really incredible. Um, Fun thing to do, cook with your family and try some new things. All right? Oh, and by the way, um, premium.drsteve.com is back up. Uh, I I had canned it. I'm an idiot. I'll talk about it later in the show. But uh, everybody's Subscription got canceled and if you're interested in getting the archives um, of this show, go to premium.drsteve.com and sign back up again and I promise I won't do this to you again until I have a stroke or I die, something like that and I apologize. and I'll try to put some more premium uh, stuff on there but it gives you uh, access to all the archives of all the shows going uh back to the beginning so premium.drsteve.com so <clears throat> that reminded me you know you were so uh you know excited to have the right answer we had this guy <laughs> in my class i'm not going to say his name cuz he's a practicing physician but um, <clears throat> we all he was what we at that time called a gunner do you mm-hmm. guys have oh, those oh for sure okay so i don't know if he's still and he was quite the brown noser and really, kind of nobody in my class liked him. I got along with him. He was my lab partner for a while, so we got, we got along. I mean, we studied together first year and stuff. But as time went on, you know, uh, as I made other connections, I sort of backed away a little bit. And uh, he was, you know, it was kind of sad because he was sort of alone at the end, but he brought it on himself. Yeah. You know, he would do things like uh, when we were um, uh, in uh, fourth year. Um, we had a guy in my class that had gotten held back, but it wasn't common knowledge. So, and his name was Denomi. And uh, so this guy is in the lab with me, and this Denomi guy comes in with two tubes of blood because back then we had to draw the blood in the hospital. We didn't have phlebotomy teams. And this guy that I'm talking about just looked at him and went, come on, Denomi, why don't you get up? third year to do that. And the way he said third year with such disdain, even though it was really only like two months since we ourselves had been third years. And so he was already (laughs) dumping on people. And what was worse was we all loved this Denomi guy. And he actually was a third year because he wasn't in our (laughs) class anymore. So it was just bad all around. So anyway, we were all hoping, kind of hoping for something with, you know, this guy would get his comeuppance. Well, We had a professor at the University of North Carolina. His name was Newton Fisher, and he had an IQ of about 220. Oh, wow. And uh, he was our ENT professor. And back then, if you got head and neck cancer, they would just take your head and neck off, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, the the pictures that he would show us were just horrific. I mean, Mm. they looked like that movie Dr. Sardonicus or something, you know, where just half of the face is gone and you see the teeth – and uh, and the terminates and stuff, you know, from the outside. I mean, these sure. people looked horrible. And so um, uh, Newton Fisher would get up in front of us in this lecture, and he would uh, show us a picture of someone with half their face removed. And then he would go, If you miss this diagnosis, I will despise you. And we were all sort of shaking in our boots, but kind of laughing at the same time. And this guy I'm talking about was sitting... Right in the front row, okay. There was him and then four rows mm. of nobody, and then the rest of us,
0: right? <laughs> oh, and then yeah. him. <laughs> and
2: Ugh. Newton Fisher was up on this podium, you know, on a little stage up above. So you had to, cra- if you were on the front row, you had to crane your neck, like at the, if you're at the front row of the movies, right? So then he shows us another slide. If you missed this diagnosis, I will despise you. And again, we're all sort of shuddering, but um, you know, laughing at the same time because it was so, I mean, it was just extreme. Bizarre, yeah. It was yeah. bizarre. Yeah. And uh, he does this two or three more times. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of his lecture, he just stops cold and looks down at this guy. And he goes... Your beatific smile is insipid, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And then just goes back on with his lecture. And we just were like, ah! And we still, to this day, I mean, our our skit for the next three years had that line in it, your beatific smile is Mm -hmm. insipid, sir, because we had end-of-the-year skits. Um, So... (laughs) If you look on this guy's health grade, you know what health grades is? Of course. If you look on his health grades profile, (laughs) (laughs) it's a just scroll down. I would love to give his name out so that our listeners could look him up. But if you if, when we are done, I will show you. I'm ruining the joke because I always tell this story to my, um, to my medical students and stuff and then I'll scroll down and about five down there it is your beatific sm- uh, three stars your beatific smile is insipid sir no. signed Newton Fisher oh, <laughs> oh, <I> mean, well. <laughs> so that's hilarious yeah it sounds like things haven't really changed much no, for medical no, no, school <laughs> no no And and as soon as I got it up there of course I called my best friend from medical school and I said go go check the, you know so and so's health grades right now and he's, we were still laughing just like we were you know 30 I went one was that thirty, God, thirty-five years ago. Oh, no way. Yeah, wow, that's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> that's, pretty
0: <soft.
2: laughs> that's pretty cool. But anyway, so you just sort of reminded me of that when you were so.
1: Was it his beatific smile?
0: <laughs> Ooh, I've got the right answer. Teach. Well, we're we're if anything, used to getting all the answers wrong. So yeah, right, right, <laughs> That's right. the that's the first lesson you learn. Well,
2: that is um, uh, so, okay. So I'm in surgery, right? Mm-hmm. And they would pimp us with these questions, and we would never know. I'm like, when was this sur- surgery first performed, and all this stuff? And I'm like, hell, I don't know. Who cares? I could tell you what that is mm-hmm. I'm looking at, but <clears throat> I don't know any of this stuff. So I finally realized that the professors were getting this stuff straight out of this one particular surgical textbook. <laughs> So I had to do a cholecystectomy the next day, and so I read up on it. I read up on the history, who did it first, and, you know, I don't know, William Osler, who knows. <laughs> but uh, And he did. He asked me, you know, well, who, who first performed this? And I said, oh, that was so-and-so in 19, or in 18, whatever it was. And he was like, "Oh, very good." And then just started to mercilessly ask me questions until I couldn't get one. <laughs> and that, that's the end game. The end game is to do the Socratic method until you have no answer. Exactly. So just get the <clears> first <throat> one wrong the first time, and then you're and then decide. you're
0: done. You're set. Yeah.
2: Then you're done. They know you're a dumbass,
1: and they'll move on. And they'll move on <laughs> because
2: they don't really expect you to know it anyway. No, not at all. You know. So they're just effing with you. The other thing that you'll learn is this thing called the attending syndrome. I'm sure you've already learned that, where you go in and talk to a patient, and you come out with one history, and then the attending goes in, and the patient tells them <laughs> something exactly the opposite. Completely different, yeah. It's so much more fun to be the attending in that situation, because <laughs> I can just go, ah, don't worry about it. Crap happened to me all the time when I was in medical school.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what are you going to do?
0: I am going into primary care. I'm going to be a, a family medicine doctor out in the small town. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, yeah. Do you know which small town or just any small town? Not yet. You know, I'm from Texas, so it's likely I could end up A million up small towns. My families are there, but um, I could I could go anywhere, man. I'm I'm just excited to, to be a doctor.
2: Now, if, yeah. if you, Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. And I'm glad you are because really only people who are called to do this should actually do it. Yeah. But um, – because uh, if you're doing it for the money, it, you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, you may be okay with this, but I had to live in a different town than I practiced in for a while.
0: Sure.
2: Because when I lived in the same town that I practiced in, um, I couldn't go to the street fair. I couldn't go to the grocery store or Walmart without somebody, well, did you get my mama's uh, lab test back? It's like <laughs> – First off, I don't, who the hell are you? And by <laughs> extension, who the hell is your mama? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I yeah. can't talk to you about it here anyway.
0: Yeah, you know? I I don't know. So I sort of had that thought at first when I was thinking about, especially wanting to go to a small town. Yeah. Um. And I I thought a lot about if, do I want to see people in the grocery store or at baseball games or whatever that I know some people that love take that. Care of. Mm-hmm. And I think I thrive on it, but I haven't experienced it fully yet. Yeah. So right now it's the goal, but I may get out there and do some rotations and find yeah. out that it's not for me. I I, we'll I see. my
2: main thing I don't know if you're a church goer, but I didn't want to go to church with people I was treating.
0: I think so I be did a lot. go to church yeah. in a different town even when I lived in the same town well I think that's just a good strategy if you're in medicine or not yeah <laughs> I think so you don't want to you don't want to sleep where you you know yeah yeah, yeah yeah that's a nice way to say it yeah exactly
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right good deal all right hey check out uh, Dr. Scott's website at simplyherballs.net oh it's simply herbals I read it wrong it's right, close uh, for like the thousandth time <laughs> and uh, don't forget to listen to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and um we are right now – oh, I guess we can't plug this. Well, yeah, we can, because um, some people hear this before. But uh, uh, this Saturday night, Dave Cecil, at, mm-hmm. live at the beer run, mm-hmm. you better get there, not only to see him while you still can in such a small place, but as long as the beer run is actually still open. All right, so while it's open, right. Because we uh, – Holy moly, this okay. was should have been a lot easier than it was. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden now we have to serve food. To mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like uh, we weren't really equipped for that. We
1: just want to sell beer. We just like to sling beer. People sit around. They they relax out by the river. Play, yes. a, play a little music. That's it. Period. We don't want to be you know, restaurant tours. Oh my God. Driving when we have me, a restaurant next door, when
2: we have a restaurant right next door, yeah,
1: literally attached to us, literally same, same front door. It's bizarre, isn't it? Well, I guess we can't talk about any people further are, on that, but it is people are crazy. Hey, but, but if they're in town, we are, we are there now. Yep. We're, we're, well, we, Doctor yeah. Stephen, I may be opening up just in case anybody wants to come check it out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. That, mean, right. that means Dave, that means Dave got stuck coming over the mountain in the snow. Yeah, that's true. So that, that's true. It be is bad. supposed to
2: snow this weekend.
1: Hell, it snowed like crazy this morning. Yeah,
2: but I mean, it's supposed to actually snow yeah. this weekend. So, mm-hmm. uh, but we're going to do podcast um, at two, and we'll broadcast it live mm-hmm. on uh, our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And then um, we will uh, have the um, live event December 8th at uh, 7 p.m. at the Beer Run. So if you're listening to this before then, uh, feel free to come. Mm-hmm. And admission is free. And if you come introduce yourself as a listener, uh, Scott and I will buy you a beer too. That's right. Always drink responsibly.
1: Always drink responsibly, yeah. All right. And the uh, beer will be cold, and the mu- music's going to be hot. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so so we
2: are back. Uh, I,
1: I, I came
2: this close to making the show disappear. I actually talked to Jim McClure, said, just get ready when I say the word. I need this to be like it never happened. What is that, uh, service pro or whatever, mm-hmm. like it never service happened? Pro, right. And um, I talked about being depressed, and I was depressed, but it turns out I was – blaming it on gvac mm-hmm. but really what it was was i had reactive depression mm-hmm. so let's talk a little bit about m- clinical major depression and reactive depression now um ryan have you guys talked about the difference between those two things uh,
0: a little bit I'm, i i'll follow along and pipe in if i okay <laughs> <well>. <laughs> <laughs> i was i was going to have you
2: discourse on it uh. but uh you know uh Uh, reactive depression is a depression that has a known cause Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, uh, regular depression is what we call idiopathic meaning the doctor's an idiot and the patient is pathetic but it really means we just don't know what's causing it Mm -hmm. and it's a change in, in brain chemistry and the weird thing is is that reactive depression causes the same changes in brain chemistry so, if you um, drive your serotonin levels in your brain down, you'll get depressed If you get depressed you'll drive your serotonin levels down, yeah. so you know it just it works going in both directions but uh I finally analyzed it um that uh, the real reason that I was depressed was and this is sort of self referential I was going to have to make the the show go away. Mm. Because I was taking a job with a Fortune five hundred company, well, guess what? I am not gonna. I, I am. I have realized that I am not made for corporate life. No, on that level, I was supposed to be a regional executive, and um, and dealing with corporate culture drives me crazy. Now. Um, and, and when I realized that I was going to have to make the show go away, I got depressed. And that made me want to make the show go away because I just felt like I didn't have it in me anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, so <laughs> so I, I'll tell you a little bit about this. I, you know, I went to this interview. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were so uncoordinated, and you know what a detail-oriented person I am, Scott. I do. When we I do. I do. do the comedy shows, I've I got do. this list of a thousand things to do. You
1: got a notebook, yeah?
2: I do, literally. And and I, and I do most of it myself. I'll delegate some of it. Like Diane deals with picking up the comedians at the because she's a supermodel. You didn't get to meet her, but you know, an aging supermodel, but a supermodel nonetheless. <laughs> oh. And. Uh, and she, you know, she picks them up, and I can count on her because she's a party planner for the company that we work for, or a meeting planner. But um, you know, I, I'm just very detail oriented, and I want to—I think of every single thing that can go wrong, which is good because then I make sure that I've got
0: backup plans, uh, backup and, plans, yeah, and yeah. safety
2: nets and stuff like that. So, but I go to this thing now. This is a Fortune 500 corporation, and my first interview started at seven in the morning. And then uh, the fourth one of the morning, the guy wasn't there, so he called me on the phone, talked to me for an hour. Very, Very nice guy I'm sitting there. It's noon. And am I supposed to get my own lunch? Is somebody bring it? am I missing a lunch oh, meeting? No. Because I've been to interviews like that where they have – everybody gets together and they all eat lunch together, see how you can socialize and stuff. And uh, nothing. Nobody. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there. It's 10 after, 15 after. This, this is going to sound trivial, but this wasn't the only
1: thing. That's a huge red flag. You know? yeah.
2: So uh, I went down. I knew where mm-hmm. human resources were. It was on the floor below. So I went down to that floor, and I found the HR person. I said, am I supposed to be somewhere? And they're like, no, not that we know of. So I was in downtown Nashville, so by the time I um, – uh, uh, realized that I had to go get my own lunch, which I'm not a big baby. I'm not, this. Uh, this is not a princess in the pea situation, no. uh, but it is common courtesy to offer somebody a bottle of water, or mm-hmm. if it's lunchtime, offer them lunch. And so I just went down to uh, what's the big street in Nashville, but down by the Ryman, Broadway, Broadway. Yep. Yeah. So I just went down there. By the time I got down there, mm-hmm. I didn't have time to eat you know by the time i i would be late for my next interview so i had another four interviews to do so i just walked in a big sort walked around the block and came back again no one asked me hey did you get something to eat do you want a bottle of water nothing oh, they would wow. show up for their part of the interview and leave okay so that was bad enough um it uh, i had been talking to the ceo for months mm-hmm. and uh, oh i'm going to call you on friday Oh, I you know I got. I let me call you on Monday, okay? Oh, something came up. I let me call you on Tuesday, and that, that this went on for three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, come on! Yep. If you really want to talk to somebody, you could. You're gonna make time. You make, make time effort, yeah. to talk to somebody. <laughs> so, I um, uh, they offered me the job. Just you know, uh, I was fine. You know, I'm thinking. I don't know if I want to work with these people, and they were very, very corporate despite being so disorganized, you know. And uh, so they offered me the job, and that's when I started going through this depression mm-hmm. because uh, it's nice to be wanted, and I really kind of wanted to do it because I wasn't thrilled with my, jo- my job at the time, although mm-hmm. th- that's gotten a lot, lot better. <clears throat> and um, so I was going to take this job. And uh, that's when I went through all this business. I'm going to have to shut it down. And I got it was sort of uh, rolling around and got got me more and more depressed. So I called the CEO and I said, listen, I got to tell you something. Um, I know you guys did a background check on me, but something you may not be aware of is that I have a show on Sirius XM. I also have a show on a. On uh, you know on a, the Riotcast network, mm-hmm. and I advise behind the scenes on the Jim and Sam, and used to do on Opie and Anthony, and I do a little bit on uh, the Howard Stern, Stern show. Yep. And he said, "This makes you even more interesting to me than you were before." I I wouldn't worry about it, but I'll let, I'm gonna I'll check into it, and make sure it's not going to be a problem with the corporation, and I'll check back with you on Monday. This was on mm-hmm. Friday, so three days. I figure, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. you know, we'll just see, and if they. Say they they can't live with it, then I will officially make it go away. If I want to take this job,
1: mm-hmm.
2: five weeks later, don't hear a thing, <laughs> oh, nothing, no. <laughs> nothing. And at that point, my job had kind of fixed itself. We went through a merger, and and uh, I'm I'm very happy with the direction my job is going in now. So well, like, that's I'm,
1: 180 degrees from where we were a week. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> two yeah, weeks yeah. ago, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Truth, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm very very good. happy with good, it. Good, good. Yeah, that and, makes uh, me
2: happy. So uh, you know, my depression lifted mm-hmm. because I realized I don't want to give this up. I don't want to give up weird medicine. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a corporate wonk. No, I cannot work with people who are li- like that. No way. You know, uh, because I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, as as goofy and odd as I am, you know, I I return people's phone calls. Yes. I, you know, hell, I. Return the uh, i i message the people that send us voicemails on mm-hmm. this show.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, yes.
2: So and it and it irritates me if I send somebody an email with a bunch of information in it and I just get nothing back. Now yeah. there are a few people in my life that still pull that, but mm-hmm. I never do. I'll at least say I got, got it. Whatever, it, yeah, sure, working on yeah. I just realized just I couldn't be courteous. I couldn't work
1: with them just to be courteous. I think. And, uh, you know, I, I've known you for a long time. I know you well enough. That's, that. I really do believe that would have been a terrible, yeah. terrible marriage. Well, I'm an know. ex-hippie. Uh, I, Ryan's never
2: seen this, but mm-hmm. I'm going to show you a picture of me in 1977. Okay. And then you'll uh, – <laughs> if you go online and uh, go to the Mando Birch uh, YouTube mm-hmm. thing, that's on our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm uh you know, Dr. Steve's college band gets shit on or something like that. This mm-hmm. picture is on there so you can see, but that was me in the seventies. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> that hair. I know. That's so I went awesome. from long straight hair down to my ass to a permed mullet in the eighties to where I am now, which is just gray headed old man look. So. The, per-
1: the perm look <laughs> was is hilarious. fabulous man. It was. <laughs> yeah the uh, I, I've seen those pictures there they, are, per, they per, are permed mullet fabulous. <laughs> fabulous but uh but anyway so yeah
2: so we're back uh, I am anticipating doing some great things on this show mm-hmm. we're going to do a show we're gonna next week for our holiday show we're just gonna have Dave Cecil in and we're gonna do an hour with him just because I can right. And then after that, we're going to get back to doing the show the, regu- the way we used to. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, uh, when Don Wicklin was running the channel, we were going to do um, uh, a live li- call-in, live shows yeah. on Saturday night. And yeah. I would like to talk to Jim McClure about maybe doing that. Mm-hmm. It, it, we would incur some expense. Mm -hmm. Uh, It requires them to have an employee there running the board on their end and Mm -hmm. making sure the phones are working Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So um, I don't know if they want to spend that kind of money on us or not. Um, They certainly aren't. You you, you and I
1: would have to get a little bit of a raise, you would think. (laughs) No. No, they would probably just not pay us and use the the little money that they do pay. To the person answering the phones. Right. So. Anyway, yeah, um, when uh, P.A.
2: John and I first, this is way before your time, you were probably 12 at the time, (laughs) first uh, did our first show at um, uh, the SiriusXM Studios. It was such a success that we walked out of there, and Anthony Cumia said it was the best first show I've ever seen. People you know, loved it. The phone banks were just slammed. We had to bump our first guest, which was E-Rock, which was hilarious. Wow. And we walked out of there and looked up at the Parker Meridian, which is you know, a nice hotel on 57th Street, and uh, saw all the condos on the top, You know, the penthouse. It's like, which one of those should we buy? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. Uh, and then the next four years, we did the show for free for mm-hmm. flat nothing i mean it cost us money mm-hmm. i'm just barely finally recouping the amount of money we spent on flying up there to do it oh wow <laughs> and um and putting people up i mean one year we took five people up there we took mm-hmm. the whole crew mm-hmm. double vasectomy shit and uh mm-hmm. uh jefferson the shyster and uh mm-hmm. p.a john and uh chest pain rob even you, rob you never met never him never met him that was before me. You ever I've heard, been
1: around for about 10 years. Heard of Chest
2: Pain Rob? No. He was a regular on the show. And the reason he got called that, what a dumbass. He, he <laughs> one day got chest pain, right? And he went to the emergency room and he got checked out and everything was okay. But he went home that night, and that <laughs> night he's taking his shirt off, and there's an EKG lead on his chest.
1: <laughs> and his wife says,
2: what's that? Well, the rest, of, you know the rest of the story. He never told his wife he went to the emergency room because he was having what he thought was angina. Uh-huh. And she didn't have sex with him for a month. She was so <laughs> fucking mad at him that he had just done this on his own. <laughs> and, and so anyway, he got the name chest pain Rob. That's but, awesome. <laughs> Yeah, he was a good guy, and now he's a he's a paramedic somewhere. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah so oh, he went cool. from doing this to being a paramedic, which I thought was pretty cool. Hmm. Now, tell us how we influenced your uh, journey through this medical school thing.
0: Absolutely. Well, and eventually we'll answer probably one phone call. <laughs> well, I started medical school about you know three and a half years ago, and when I was. Uh, starting my my studies and stuff, I wanted to have something other than a book to read uh, to to get some learning in, and so I, I was a big podcast guy um, all through high school and college. Really? Yeah, yeah, back in the day, um, usually music podcasts, books, things like that. Not not so much comedy or, or um, anything scientific. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. I I started googling. Just for some to find some medicine type podcasts that I could listen to and hopefully learn a thing or two, mm-hmm. and then uh, I stumbled upon y'all. Really? So said, that, you know, <laughs> I was just kidding when I said, "Please tell us how we influenced your career." So, well, it was mainly. It was mainly. I think I learned how to talk to patients, like how to answer questions. Yeah. Way, like I'm okay. being serious um, because I think that a lot of people in my class struggle with that. They don't know how to sure. uh, dumb things down to a level or just simplify things it's down. Not to even their,
2: dumbing them down. Yeah just speaking like a human being. Exactly. Exactly. I'll give you one tip too before you go on. There are two words that we use that mm-hmm. are mean exactly the opposite and you might have heard this on the show that of of the meaning that our patients use it for. Mm-hmm. That's positive and negative. Sure. So if you have a positive outlook, that's a good thing. If you have a positive balance in your in your um, checking, checking account, account that's sure. a good thing. If your biopsy is positive, that's a bad that's thing. Terrible, horrible. And we had somebody just the other – who was that, that that was in here that said that uh, – maybe they weren't here in the studio, but it was somebody in my life said that their mother called them and said, oh, thank God, they called me from the from the um, um, doctor's office and they said my influenza test was positive. Oh, she thought that meant she didn't have yeah, influenza. No. <laughs> because, of course, well, it's a good thing. It's positive. So we would... Uh, and negative, the other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, negative means bad things yeah. in our patients' lives. But when we say it, like if the biopsy is negative, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's like... Uh, um, Orwell's Newspeak, you know, everything is backwards. You sure. know, hate is love, and war is peace, and all this stuff. And uh, so, I highly recommend that, that all prime, uh, all physicians use the words normal and abnormal instead mm-hmm. of positive and negative. But anyway, go on.
0: Yeah. Well, But, but yeah, I,
2: your classmates
0: suck at this. Yeah, <laughs> I, and, and a lot of us do, I think, because we learn this whole new language when yeah. we start school. And you want to use it. Exactly. And we want to sound smart and sound fun. Yes. Yeah. I did the same thing. But then it, it's confusing, because it's confusing to us as learners and then to our patients who haven't been through medical school. It's, it's also confusing. And so just learning how to simplify things and, and talk frankly and straight yeah. with people, I think right. they appreciate that. Yeah. And, and so I really appreciated listening to y'all over the last few years and, and just finding those common things that, that people have questions about or don't want to talk about and just being able to answer questions in a, in a yeah. straightforward, uncensored kind of way.
2: And being comfortable talking about things that people aren't comfortable talking about. Like a right. lot of doctors are not right. comfortable talking about death and dying. Why? Because they're going to die just like everybody else mm-hmm. and they're just as freaked out about it yep. as everyone else. So, you know, I think I went into palliative medicine to deal with my own issues of mortality. Sure. Yeah, I I really do. But, um, you know, doing it and doing it often and screwing it up and then doing it better, it's just like being a comedian. You know, these comedians will tell you they'll get up and they'll start telling jokes and they'll see what little part of that joke worked and they'll keep that and then change the rest until they get the whole thing working. And I've noticed I work the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, I have this spiel about Code Blue that I have worked on now for 35 years, and I've finally got it to where it's almost perfect, mm-hmm. you know? But it does take, and I've noticed over time that it changes subtly as I see oop, now that, they didn't, it didn't quite land, but if I said it this way, it landed better and all that stuff, and you put it all together. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's an ongoing thing. You'll get better at it as you go, if you care about it. A lot of yeah, doctors don't yeah. care about mm-hmm. it. But I hear residents talking to me, well, you know, you've had a you know, a primary uh, myocardial infarction of the left anterior (laughs) descending artery and the patient's just looking at them. Or, you know, uh, here's a good one for you. Okay, If you're talking medical stuff, or, uh, sorry, uh, pain stuff, Mm -hmm. we will always, in medicine, convert everything to oral morphine equivalents. Mm -hmm. So if you've got somebody that's on a Dilaudid or hydromorphone pump and they're getting 12 milligrams an hour, let me work this out, Uh, well, let's say 12 milligrams a day. That's going to work out easier for me. That's 240 uh, oral morphine equivalents per day, right? Mm -hmm. If you say that to a patient, they're going to look at you with the blankest stare because they're not going to have any context. But if you say that's the equivalent to 24 Lortab
0: 10s, Mm -hmm.
2: if they've ever taken any pain medication, they know exactly what you're talking about. Then they'll go, oh, God.
0: Yeah, in yeah. terms they know and are familiar with. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. So I, when I'm talking to physicians, I'll talk in morph, oral morphine equivalents. If I'm talking to patients, I'll talk in Lortab-10 equivalents. Sure, sure. sure yeah. <laughs> so stuff like that. But anyway. That's well, awesome. Well, good. Well, I'm glad we were in some way able to, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, have some influence on you. And and uh, critical thinking is one of the things that I'm really big on. um mm-hmm. Uh, A lot of our colleagues are dumbasses. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) They are. Mm -hmm. The ones out there that are putting people on, uh, you know, Z-packs for colds and stuff, Mm -hmm. they're dumbasses. Use some critical thinking. Learn how to talk to people. Well, they want it. Well, okay.
1: So So what? You know, they want Xanax and... Perk too. You don't just don't we all. Write that. <laughs> of hey, it, it may, may may I make an observation too. Of course, for the, the the soon you know the uh, the young doctor is. What to me the most important thing is being a great listener. Sure. Okay, uh, my grandfather went blind from glaucoma and um, cataracts, and in his older days, and he was living. Oh, in the water. weather! But have you yeah. seen the weather yeah. out there today? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you know, I, so I used to sit around with him and just close my eyes and listen. You know, because we'd listen to the baseball games or whatever. Yeah. And and that's and I think that's a huge thing about you know when you're having patient interaction is actually listening to what they're fucking telling you because yeah. nine out of ten times they're going to tell you what's wrong with them. Exactly. Um, they just don't know how to articulate. That's it. a good point. They don't know exactly the terms to put in, which is our jobs, right? But li- being a great listener. In fact, a book I'm reading right now is um, it's called Zen and the Art of Listening. Oh, oh okay. and it's fabulous. I would suggest you, you, you. Scott actually reads that. books. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that he makes a really good point.
2: I have, I saw a person die because people were not listening to him. He came into the emergency room saying he had a sore throat. Mm-hmm. And so, part of this is, you know, patients just don't present in a textbook way. But what he meant was, I'm having left sided chest pain, and it's radiating to my neck. Well, they put him in the, you know, acute ambulatory side, thinking he had strep, because no one asked any other questions. Just oh, sore throat, you go over there. Mm -hmm. And you know, when they came in to see him, he's dead. So, Mm -hmm. wow. Um, I'll tell this story. I guess we're not going to answer any questions today. Uh, we're just going to talk about I do those. have one great topic though if we need okay a topic. well <laughs> I had um one. uh this example of people not listening to somebody oh yeah um I'm a second year resident, and um the uh at that time it was just the resident and the attending and the attending was in the office, so I was there by myself and they called me to the emergency room to see this guy who um I should uh, – this is sort of my Christmas story, uh, who uh, had been in the emergency room multiple, multiple times complaining of a demon in his abdomen. And they would give him a shot of Thorazine, and they'd send him home. Well, they knew he had hepatocellular cancer, mm-hmm. okay, but um, uh, – but, you know, this demon in his abdomen, he would complain of that. They just thought he was what we would call encephalopathic or just r- talking out of his dang head. Mm-hmm. So they give him a shot of Thorazine or Haldol, which is, a you know, a, for people with who are a- psychotic, <laughs> yeah. and send him home. Well, <clears throat> when I went down to see him, it was obvious I wasn't going to be sending him home because he had a blood pressure of 70 over nothing. He had a fever of 104, mm-hmm. and he had this hepatocellular cancer and it was pretty obvious he wasn't going to make it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was going to admit him. And while I'm talking to him, I said, uh, my standard code blue thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if you die, do you want us to do chest compressions on you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, you know, if, if you die, do you want us to put you on life support? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you got to do everything. you got to keep me alive. Keep me alive no matter what. I'm like, okay. "Okay." Well, I didn't really have the tools to deal with it at the time, so I just said, okay. So I just write the order full code. Hmm. And I'm writing all these uh, orders up, sitting next to his bed in the emergency room. and Everything was on paper back then. And during this time, he's yelling, you know, Lord, don't send me into that lake of fire. And then he would sing these hymns, you know, uh, gospel hymns at the top of his lungs. And uh, uh, so I'm taking him up to the To the unit, we—you know—they're pushing them up on the on the bed, up into the unit. And we get up there, and he's modeled – I mean, he is Mm -hmm. so obviously going to die. And uh, the nurses up there were like, why are you bringing him up here? He's going to die. I said, I I know, but the only place I can do the things that he wants me to do are in the intensive care unit. So I've got – this is where – the only place I can do it because there are certain medications you can only give in the intensive care unit, Mm -hmm. including what we call pressers Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. medications to keep blood pressure up and things like that. So." So I get all that stuff going, and he immediately lapses into a coma. Or he becomes unconscious anyway, and I can't rouse him. So when he did that, I did the most reprehensible thing I've ever done in my career, which was as soon as he couldn't defend himself, I went running around trying to get somebody around him to make him a DNR, in Mm -hmm. other words – Uh, So for the people who don't know, a DNR means do not attempt resuscitation. It just simply means if somebody dies, we let them go without doing all that stuff that we do like Mm -hmm. you've seen in the movies. So – and by the way, at the best of times, in Dr. Ryan's case, if he were to die right now, God forbid, and we did CPR on him and did the full-bore thing, he only has a 15 percent chance of surviving. So Mm -hmm. you can imagine what this guy's chances were. Well, anyway – so I got a hold of the the patient's um, uh, uh, friend that brought him in. She said, I'm not making any decisions. Call his brother. His brother lives in Cincinnati. And uh, uh, you can talk to him about it. So I call the brother, tell him the whole story. And he says, I'm not making any decisions till I see my brother. I'm on my way. Click. So we're on the hook for at least 24 hours till the brother gets there. Oh, jeez. During this time, <clears throat> the patient – would uh, be lapse into unconsciousness, then wake up, sing hymns at the top of his lungs, yell, Lord, don't send me into that lake of fire, and then go right back into being unconscious again. Oh, wow. Wow. So the next day, he survived the night. The next day – because I was pretty good at what I was doing – and the next day, the brother shows up, and uh, he goes in to you – know, I explained the situation to him. He goes in to see the brother, the patient – and uh, he just walks in without even saying how do you do. He goes, brother, do you want to live? And I'm like behind him going, God, don't add Who would say no to that? Right, true. You know? Uh, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I want to live. And so I kind of – over I couldn't keep my mouth shut over the shoulder of the brother and go, do you want to live like this, though? And he's like, no, no, I don't want to live like this. Mm-hmm. So uh, we mm-hmm. – uh, I'm still confused. I walked back and – Remember, this is. I'm at the beginning of my training. I'm a senior resident, but a very newly senior resident. And so I sit back down with the brother out in the little chapel area, family meeting room. And he says, You know what's wrong, don't you? And I'm like, No, <laughs> if, I know I do not. If you do, please enlighten me. And he said, uh, uh, My brother's never been saved. And he thinks, and at first I I kind of interrupted him. I said, Look, anybody that, that, um, Uh, sings that many hymns and talks to God as much as he does. Believe me, he's been saved. He said, no, 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 no. What I mean is he's never been baptized. And he thinks if he dies before he's baptized, he's going to go to hell because he thinks that that pain in his liver is a demon that's holding on to his liver and is going to pull him into hell when he
1: dies.
0: (laughs) Oh wow!
2: So at that moment, I had a flash of insight at that moment. I realized several things. Number one, that this guy's – was being treated for his religious beliefs in the emergency room with Haldol and Thorazine. Mm, right? Oh no, yeah. jo- he and Joan of Arc had something in common. They both everybody thought they were crazy. He had a legitimate I mean it's legitimate as any other religious belief sure. belief that this demon, you know, the mm-hmm. pain in his abdomen was a demon gonna pull him into hell. And the other thing I realized was I what I was really dealing with was a problem in problem solving. Mm-hmm. No one had talked to the, no one had listened to this guy, you know, including me. Mm-hmm. And um uh uh here, here's how his problem solving went. I've never been baptized. If I die unbaptized, I'm going to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Therefore, I must never die. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas I thought what might be slightly more functional having been in this job for a whole year, uh, uh, but knowing that we none of us get out of here alive was—I've never been baptized. If I die unbaptized, I'm going to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Therefore, I need to get baptized.
0: Right, sure. Yeah. So
2: um, break the chain. Yeah. So <laughs> I, you know, I asked the brother, "You think, you know, if I got him baptized here, he'd be cool?" And he's like, "Well, yeah." So I called oh. the the um, uh, chaplain. And he was like an anabaptist or something like that. I'm not even sure what that is. But he um, – I said, can you baptize somebody in the hospital? He said, I can baptize somebody anywhere. Okay. So I said, well, I've, I got one for you. So he came up there into the intensive care unit, said, I'll just be a minute. Shut the door, and it got really, really loud in there, like really loud. Not, not like, get out or anything like that, but, but more uh, – wait a minute. I can do that better get out. (laughs) It it wasn't like that. It was more like very charismatic. They were both very charismatic. And the patient was, was, you know, singing hymns at the top of his lungs and the preacher was really loud. Mm. And then all of a sudden it got really quiet in there. It was so quiet. And the uh, preacher came out and he said, well, I'm done. I'll see y'all later. And I was like, who was that masked man? Because when we walked in, the it was the patient was so quiet i thought he had died
0: wow, wow. you know that he was yeah, even yeah.
2: more quiet than he was when he was unconscious hmm. but he when he was unconscious even then he was conflicted right mm-hmm. sure and um uh, but now he wasn't anymore and the brother walked in and the patient was just sitting there looking up at the ceiling and the brother said how you doing buddy and the patient said i want to go home
1: wow and
2: <laughs> you know we sent him home with the hospice it was, you know, a short, uh, uh, you know, a sh- she had a short length of stay, so mm. it was a late referral. But um, he had, was on minimal pain medication. I happened to see the woman that brought him in about, th- you know, afterward. Mm. And he died three days later, In pain was never, ever an issue again. Mm. She said that was the happiest she'd ever seen him. Mm. So this was a situation wow. of what we call pure spiritual pain, which is pain that can't be treated with
0: with a pill. A medicine, yeah.
2: Yeah. And nobody, including me, were listening to him. And if I hadn't wanted to get him off my service so bad, because that's what you want to do when you're a second year, I probably wouldn't have spent the time to figure it out myself, you know, in hindsight. And I didn't think it was that big of a deal at the time until uh, we had a... Um, uh, all of the programs here have a uh, program psychologist, mm-hmm. and he caught wind of it. And... um he, he he just went damn dude that was a hell of a thing you did there and it was like really and because you know when you're a resident it's buff and turf you're mm-hmm. trying to buff these patients up mm-hmm. so you can turf them to somebody else yeah and i turfed them i buffed them up and i turfed them to hospice you know that's really i i, I was in that that uh, mechanistic sort of um mercenary mode, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't really think about it as being a great thing until about two weeks later. And then when I really sat back and reflected on it,
0: I was like, wow, you know, we really can have
2: a big effect.
0: Yeah. And I think it's just a great lesson, no matter if you're in medicine or whatever, you just take the time to slop, stop, slow down for a minute and just yeah. listen. I think you'll discover some things about yourself or whatever situation you're in. I think, well, that's
2: just- And I think that's why home visits are valuable, too, because mm-hmm. when you see somebody in your office, they're going to be one way. But uh, you're kind of treating them in a vacuum, mm-hmm. and when you see them in their environment, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, in art, we always talked about it, like if you're going to draw a hand, right? Mm-hmm. It's got, you're drawing the hand in contrast to the background. Sure, you can't draw the hand. Um, I mean, you, you don't see a hand just isolated in space, in yeah. end space. Yeah, yeah. You know, you see it in in relation to its background. And mm-hmm. when you see patients at the home, you're seeing them in relation to their background mm-hmm. or, you know, what's going on around them. Absolutely. And it's extremely valuable. Absolutely. So, cool, anyway. There you go. Great story. There's your story. If I had uh, Sherwin Sleeves, uh, uh, the La La song behind me, it would have been perfect. But. <laughs> um, Speaking of Sherwin Sleeves, by the way, uh, those of you out there who are fans of the good Mr. Sleeves uh, should check out two things. Get on YouTube and search for Sherwin Sleeves Plays Minecraft because it is that my kids think that's the funniest video they've ever seen mm-hmm. because it's sherwin sleeves like this old man character and he's playing minecraft and he, and he just keeps getting killed and he's spinning <laughs> around in circles and talking to the those pigs that run around and he's like am am i to communicate with you my friend <laughs> you know good lord and he's dead again and he slimes oh <laughs> I, I do not like these slimes. <laughs> it's just the greatest. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second Sherwin Sleeves oh thing that you need to check out is the show on Amazon Prime called Patriot. Oh. And Patriot is written and directed, every episode, written and directed by Steve Conrad, who is got to be the hardest working guy in TV mm-hmm. because I mean, he goes to all the locations, to, films every episode, writes every episode. The whole thing is his baby. Um, but his one of his co-writers is none other than Sherwin Sleeves, which explained to me why the songs are so effing odd in this show. Mm-hmm. He, Sleeves had to have some. His real name is Sean Hurley. Uh, had to have had something to do with the songs. This guy... Uh, is a CIA agent, and he can only express himself in song, and so the songs he talks about, and so in the second season particularly, the songs do all the exposition. They tell you what he's going to do, when he's going to do it, Hmm. but they're these kind of pop folk songs, but they're just crazy, and he's talking about bashing people's heads in, and you know he's sad because he had to shoot that guy, and all this kind of stuff. It's just the craziest damn thing. So Patriot is absolutely well worth it if if you can Handle some surrealism, okay? In your yeah, life. that's cool. I need to check that out. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. So anyway, Sounds like all right. A well, good Ben. Number I'm one
1: thing: don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. We have
2: got four minutes. We can get one in. Yeah. Uh, let's see here.
1: Hey, Doctor Steve, it's Mike Collins from New York. I'm listening to the uh, podcast about squirting. I. Th- It's
2: Frankie five angels. I
0: think you need to do your experiment one last time, put this to rest. Um, You test it and you found the prosthetic-specific antigen as well as creatine. But if you take that same porn star and test just her urine and see if it contains the prosthetic-specific antigen, perhaps somehow her body is producing and expelling that in a a way.
2: Yeah, no, he's right. If you're going to do the study correctly. So what he's talking about was... Uh, Harry Fish on Howard Stern tested a uh, porn star's squirtage for um, creatinine and con- and saw creatinine in it and concluded it was just urine. And then we did the same experiment mm-hmm. and tested it for prostatic specific antigen and and uh, concluded that it can't just be urine. He's right um, that uh, it would have been much more conclusive if we had catheterized her or had her do a clean catch. Uh, prior to doing this that showed no uh, prosthetic-specific antigen in her urine. Mm-hmm. Now, <coughs> oh, boy. Um, we didn't do that because um, there, in the normal person, there's no prosthetic-specific antigen in their urine. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. unless you uh, do a prostate exam <laughs> on them, and she didn't have a prostate, so – but uh, yeah, he is absolutely right. That would have been fu- that would have been the conclusive study. So, Ryan, I don't know if if you're aware of this. I've talked mm-hmm. about it a couple of times on the show. If you, um, w- there was a study where they used an ultrasound probe um, that um, showed that women with empty bladders who squirt voluminous sure. amounts yeah, yeah. actually produce a large amount of um, very, dilu- very fluid. dilute, very dilute sure. fluid that. If you want to be technical you can call it urine because it is produced by the kidneys and mm-hmm. expelled by the bladder but it is this particular urine or uh, fluid is only formed during sexual stimulation and is incredibly dilute which explains why when men you know I- imbibe in this Delightful fluid from the gods sure. um, uh, say that it doesn't taste anything mm-hmm. like they would think urine would taste like. Sure, it has, yeah. you know it's a very insipid kind of taste. And fifty uh, percent of women, uh, up to, well, it's anywhere between seven and fifty percent will do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then between seven and fifty percent will also uh, excrete a m- milky fluid from their skeins glands, which mm-hmm. are the analog to the uh, prostate gland of the man. And that's where the confusion comes from, because some people do both. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's 7 to 50%, there will be a certain subfraction of women who will do both. They yeah, will have
0: imagine like a quarter or something. Coital, right, yeah. right.
2: They will have coital incontinence, and they will have female ejaculation mm-hmm. at the same time. And no matter what it is, it's not, quote-unquote, just piss. If you want to call that piss, you can, but it is a different fluid than the waste product that they produce uh, in normal uh, metabolism. So there you go. So shit on everybody who says it's just because it mad. <laughs> All right. So we're back. And uh, we'll be doing a special show next week. And then we may be off for the holiday somewhere in there. I don't know what the schedule is. But starting, uh, you know, uh, late December, early January for the next year until October, until our contract runs out, we're, we're back. So uh, thank you all for being with us. Uh, thanks to Dr. Ryan. Good luck in your uh, endeavors. Thank if you decide much. to uh, match here, of course, you're always welcome on the show. And, matter of fact, we'll make you a regular. You <laughs> just got to keep it on the DL with your uh, faculty. You mm-hmm. betcha. Thanks always go to Dr. Scott. Uh, thanks uh, again, Ryan. We can't forget Rob Sprance, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, uh, Hugh Jassol. Uh, Ron Bennington, Fez Watley, and um, <clears throat> uh, Eton Twatz, whose early support of this show and never has gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM 103 Saturdays at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Eastern, one or the other. Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.